Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 86. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Jehovah's love is all trusting in that Jehovah cannot nor will he ever be content with any of our own self-righteous responses. In other words, it's either my way or the highway. We're just not interested in what you want to give us. Thanks, but no thanks. Hello again, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're tuned in to Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, it is just awesome to have you with me here today, and we're going to continue where we left off on the last program, and we're going to continue talking about First uh, Corinthians 13, 7, and the idea that love believes all, or divine biblical love is all believing. So thanks so much for joining me today. This is episode number 86 and uh, part 22 in this podcast series on defining biblical love as it is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often referred to as Paul's New Covenant Love Chapter. So once again, let's now continue with our detailed look into how we can better understand Shaul, or Paul, as he wrote down these words about Jehovah's love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. So now I want to do just a little bit of a review of what we were talking about on the last program. And uh, on the last program, I was saying that Jehovah has a free gift of generated love that he wants to give to each of us. However, the choice to receive his love is always up to us. He cannot, nor will he ever, force us to respond to him. Okay, he might make us a little bit uncomfortable and put us into positions where We're going to have to start making a decision one way or the other, but he never actually forces us to say, well, you just better receive me and accept what I have to give to you or else. Nah, he doesn't do that. But know this, when we respond to his sent out generated free gift of love, it is his hope and desire that we will respond, and in responding to him, we then will come to be all believing in him. Now, indeed, as I have already said, we have a natural built-in liability against receiving any free gifts from an unknown realm deity, especially when we are born into this world, and we actually need something to help extricate us from this situation that we're in. So, any free gifts that we get from heaven or from this unseen deity is not always welcome in our lives. 
I remember even growing up, my mother and father would often say to me, Look, you just got to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Yeah, they would use terminology like that, but I understood what they were basically saying back when I was a young man. And uh, also, I think uh, many people have their ideas on what it all means for us today, that generally it is considered a weakness if we have to somehow rely upon some free gift from heaven in order to be able to cope in this world and deal with all of the issues in our fight against sin and against death and against temptations and all the other stuff that we go through. Always keeping in mind and never forgetting that we were born into this world as slaves to the law of sin and death which is found in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. So once again, our natural liability is to not believe and to not trust in Jehovah so that we might receive his love and be saved from the curse of the law of sin and death, which is in our world. We all know it oh too well. Indeed, it just really goes against our grain, so to speak, and any free heavenly gift just irritates our sin sickness of the natural soul because it is a very real battle that we face, and it really does seriously rub us all the wrong way. Okay, so with that being said, let's now go forward and have a look into some additional scriptural responses as they appear in the writings of the Bible. I want to start with John 5, 37 through 38. Here are Yeshua's words. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, but you do not have his word living in you or abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Obviously, the implication of Yeshua's words is telling us that if we do not accept or believe in Yehovah, and in the message and the teachings of his Messiah, Messiah Yeshua, then we are among those people who do not have his word abiding in us, period. So here, the reason given as to why these people that Yeshua is referring to, why they do not have Yehovah's free gift of his word, living or abiding in them, because they refused back then to respond to and to receive the free gift that was being given to them, this true gift of salvation and eternal life through Messiah. Numbers 14.11 kind of gives us that idea. This reads as follows, Then Jehovah said to Moses, 
how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe or not trust in me with all the signs that I have performed in their midst? So when we look at the Hebrew text for Numbers 14.11, where Yudhe is making himself quite clear that the people were in fact rejecting him even after he had been performing so many signs in their midst. They simply would not trust him. I mean, they were making a pretty good show of it in the flesh, but in reality, they just simply were not walking the talk. Now, I understand it in this way because when I'm reading this text in Hebrew from Numbers 14.11, when I see the word signs in English, I know that the word in Hebrew is ha-otot, which is spelled he-alef-tav-vav-tav, ha-otot. Now, otot simply means the signs in a plural sense. So then that leads me to ask the question, what is this specifically referring to? What signs is he talking about? And as I understand it, it is signifying all the events that were the Aleph Tav in action. Because that's how you spell Ha-Otot. You spell it with Aleph Tav, and then you add a plural suffix to that, and you get Ha-Otot, which means the signs of the Aleph Tav. So these signs of the Aleph Tav were, in fact, working wonders in the midst of the Hebrew nation. And we can learn this from the common late Second Temple period Jewish Hebraic point of view. Let's take a look at it here in Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. It reads as follows. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest... Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of him. The him is referring to the sign of the Aleph Tav. So then the text goes on to say, For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Well, what is this gospel? We talked about it on the last program the gospel can basically be understood as the deaths, plural, the burial, and the resurrection of Yeshua. The deaths are referring to his physical death and a spiritual death which came after his physical death. And I arrive at this through many, many different metaphors and teachings of Hebrew scripture. And so you have this physical death of Yeshua, and this spiritual death of Yeshua, which is why I believe that when he was in the garden and he was really pouring his heart out to the Father, Yeshua was saying, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me. But if not, then your will be done. 
So we learn in that context that Yeshua begins to sweat great drops of blood. And we know he's really going through a lot of agony in that particular situation. And I would ask the question, why? Okay, I understand that a Roman execution is really, really bad. But you see, I don't think it's the Roman execution tree that was causing him to feel this intense agony and anxiety over the whole situation. I think what he was thinking about is exactly what I'm getting at here, that he was headed straight for the second death. And that is what I think was giving him great angst or anxiety and great agony to think that is where he is going after his physical passing away on the execution tree or cross when he says it is finished. He's going to be heading down and into something that we do not really know that much about. But it's definitely something that is going to be quite agonizing, not just for him, but for anybody who ends up in that place, along with the Nahash or the serpent of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Okay? So all that said, the writer of Hebrews 4, 1 through 3, tells us that the gospel was preached to us even as it was preached to them. And that's why the text of Numbers 14.11 tells us that they rejected the signs of the working wonders of the Aleph Tav. So when we compare that again to Hebrews 4, that the word that they were seeking to obey, that word is the Messiah. That word is the Aleph Tav. He is the one who is referred to in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, as the Shema, where it says, Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, that's our God or our Elohim. Then it says it again, Yehovah, and then it ties the whole package together with the term Echad meaning Yehovah and Yehovah, together form the idea of Eloheinu. They are called the oneness. And it's that oneness that did not profit these people because they did not connect it or mix it with a response of trusting faith. They would not go into a truly tangible faith something that they could believe in and feel that this deity, Yudhe was and would always remain to them as one who is trustworthy and worthy of being trusted. So what did they do? The Hebrew nation ended up building their own program of self-justness or self-righteousness And then the text tells us in Hebrews 4, verse 3, that this was their failure because they were merely stepping out to hear the words of the Shema of the Aleph Tav, but they were refusing to walk in it. And uh, we mentioned that on the last program, 
that there is this idea that we hear often that people just talk the walk, but they don't walk the talk. And that can be a very common problem that we run into. And really, I think all of this can give us a pretty good understanding as to what Yaakov or James was saying in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So let's go ahead and read this just to get an idea of this overall context as to what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, when he tells us, that Jehovah's love is about all believing, or believing all. Yaakov or James, chapter 1, verse 18, let's start here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of the truth. Yeah, he brought us forth by the word of the truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let each man be swift to hear. The concept here is the Shema. Let each man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the justness of Elohim, or God. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And I think this statement is really very descriptive of showing us the difference between the term Scripture and the idea of the word. Because Scripture never saves anyone. It cannot save anyone. Only the implanted Word. And the Word is not Scripture. I said that on the previous program and probably gave some of you a conniption fit, just kind of thinking like, what are you saying, Avi? Well, I'm saying that Scripture and the Word are not the same thing. They're not. Because Scripture can't save your soul. The implanted Word is that which saves the soul, and the implanted Word can be found embedded in the Scriptures, much like a roadmap that shows us the way unto eternal life. Scripture is important, but it is the Word that actually does the saving. And we know this because Yeshua said it when he was speaking to some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, and he said to them, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, that is, salvation. But Yeshua says, But these are they which testify of me. But you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he is the Word made flesh. That is, he is the Torah made flesh. This is John 1.14 in its entirety. That's the point. 
So before I get too far off track and start taking too many rabbit trails, let's continue on with Yaakov for James 1.22. Because he's talking about this implanted word, which is able to save your souls, not Scripture, which is able to save your souls. The Scripture, again, it's the teaching conduit that shows us the Word. So, Yaakov or James 1.22, it reads, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, if someone merely is saying, Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, and then hears all of the stuff that's written about in those words, but does not actually do the word, listening to the Messiah and the voice of the Spirit, then there is nothing more than deception. So, Yaakov James one twenty three. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, that is, one who merely says the Shema, but is not a doer of the word, he is likened to a man that observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the complete or perfect law of liberty, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. The work of what? The work of the Aleph Tav, the work of the Word made flesh. Again, the Aleph Tav. Then this one will be blessed in what he does. So this will give you a good understanding as to what this is referring to in Hebrews 4, verse 3, when the writer states that the gospel, the works and the actions of the Olive Tob, was preached to them in the wilderness through all of these actions and signs and wonders, but they didn't obey that. They didn't shema to that. They didn't hear it with the heart. They only heard it with their mind. And then the text goes on to say, For we who have believed, meaning those of us who have in fact responded with trusting faith unto the free messianic gift of heaven, we are the ones who do enter that rest, as it is said here in Hebrews 4.3. So I swore in my wrath, that they, referring to those who were in the congregation of the Hebrew nation in the wilderness, that they will not enter my rest, although the works or the actions were finished from the foundation of the world. And so I would say if it was true for them, then certainly it is also going to be true for us in our time in our generation. So this leads us over to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 7. Let's read that together. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware 
that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were immersed into Moshe or Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food had all drank the same spiritual drink or drink of the Spirit, for they drank of that spiritual rock, or if you will, the rock of the Spirit that followed them. And that rock was Messiah. That's what Shaul or Paul says. So the rock was the Aleph Tav. That's the sign that did all these wonders and works for them in the wilderness. Stay with us. I'll come back on this idea. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 86. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben-Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. And let's continue where we left off here just before the break. So, Yaakov or James 1.22, if someone merely is saying, Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, but does not actually do the word listening to the Messiah and the voice of the Spirit, then there is nothing more than deception. So, Yaakov James one twenty three. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word, that is, one who merely says the Shema, but is not a doer of the Word, he is likened to a man that observes his natural face in a mirror, For he observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the complete or perfect law of liberty and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. The work of what? The work of the Aleph Tav, the work of the Word made flesh. Again, the Aleph Tav, then this one will be blessed in what he does. So this will give you a good understanding as to what this is referring to in Hebrews 4, verse 3, when the writer states that the gospel, the works and the actions of the Aleph Tav, was preached to them in the wilderness— through all of these actions and signs and wonders. That's why it's ha-otot, the signs that they saw in the wilderness. But with most of them, Elohim was not well pleased, for he goes on to say that their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, meaning 
they rose up and committed idolatry. This is in the book of Exodus or Shemot chapter 32, which is the story of the golden calf. So this then takes us over to Isaiah 28 verse 16. These are the words of Jehovah Elohim who said, Behold, I lay in Sion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes, in other words, whomever will respond to him with trusting faith, a faith that says, I will believe you, Jehovah. I will receive you. I will accept the fact that you are trustworthy and worthy to be believed. If you can do that, if I can do that, the text tells us in Isaiah 28:16, we will not be disappointed. And interestingly, the Hebrew word here for not being disappointed is all about not being or feeling shamed and or dishonored. And yet, here is another passage that shows us what we are fighting against in the natural mind of our unregenerated flesh. Again, I want to make this real clear. In the natural mind of our unregenerated flesh, it can be understood from Deuteronomy 32, 20 through 21. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children or sons in whom is no faith. They are stuck in this self-destructive, do-it-yourself salvation program that cannot nor will it ever respond to Jehovah's generated free gift of justness or righteousness, which is generated from and is sent out with the Messiah, the Word, who is called the truth. So Moshe writes that they, the Hebrew nation, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not Elohim, what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. So we know from this that performing what is called in Hebrew avodah that is understood in Hebrew as idolatry, because of that, Jehovah has just pretty much had enough of it. But we learn that he does not give up. So I would ask the question, why does the text mention this national trust in foolish idols? Why even bring up the subject? I think because it was embedded into the entire psyche of the nation, teaching the people to just simply trust in their own efforts, their own wisdom, their own determinations, in order to save themselves, that the Hebrew nation leaders dragged the people down with them after coming up out of Egypt. So indeed, it was a serious problem that they passed down 
which affected all of their downline national progeny. Let's take a look at a couple of passages to help us understand this systemic issue that was raging like an out-of-control forest fire in the midst of the Hebrew nation, which, by the way, is the same systemic curse that we're even seeing to this very day in the midst of the nations of the world, including those of my own people, the Jewish nation, Yehuda or Judah. But I don't want to go down that path right now. I want to focus here on Hosea 5, 11 through 13. Let's read it together. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precepts, obviously not by divine law. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Yehuda or Judah like rottenness. So then the text goes on to tell us that when Ephraim saw his wickedness and Yehuda saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Yared or Jared, yet he cannot even cure you, says the prophet Hosea. He can't even heal you of your wound. Well, to understand this issue, let's go back even further to 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the story of King Ahaziah. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Shomron, or Samaria, and was injured. So what does he do? He sent for messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-Zavuv. If we translate Baal-Zavuv from Hebrew to English, it will translate to the term, the Lord of the Fly, of which Scripture identifies as the God or the Elohim of Ekron. And the purpose for the messengers being sent to this Baal-Zavuv was to inquire whether Ahaziah would recover from his injury. But the messenger or the angel of Jehovah, that I believe is the pre-incarnate Yeshua, the Messiah, that is the word, the messenger angel of Jehovah, he said to Eliyahu HaTishbi, the one who leads people unto Teshuvah, or repentance, and he tells Eliyahu to get up, to go to meet those messengers or those angels of the king of Shomron, meaning Ahaziah of Shomron, and you are to say the following to them, quote, Is it because there is no El in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-Zavuv, the god of Ekron? You're going to go over to a gigantic fly, and you are going to say to him, Oh, tell me whether I'll recover from this injury that I've got. Well, this is what Jehovah was getting at by sending Eliyahu to speak to Ahaziah and to rebuke him. Stories like this 
to go to some other God or some other nation in order to get healing or protection or saving or whatever it is that we need, that kind of stuff actually came to grow in the fertile soil of those in Paul's audience who were listening to the words of Paul's theology. When he wrote that Jehovah's love was and is all trustworthy or all believable or all believing, if you would like to put it that way, that Jehovah's love is a trusting, believable thing. So in other words, in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that Jehovah's love is all trusting. It can, in fact, be trusted in that Jehovah cannot, nor will he ever be content with any of our own self-righteous responses. In other words, to say things like, well, I'll just go over here or there or wherever, fill in the blank yourself, and I'll get my salvation, I'll get my protection, I'll get my needs met, you know, from that stuff. I don't know about going to this unseen realm and this God called Jehovah or Yahweh. Ah, we don't need him. Come on. We can do it ourselves. That's what they were thinking. So it was a systemic problem for the nation, as it is also a systemic problem even for us, and certainly even for the nation, the physical nation of Israel, where I lived and worked for a good long time. I saw it all the time. You all realize that the Zionist nation of Israel, its political Zionist leaders, they don't look to Yehovah to save them. Absolutely not. They're always going to the Lord of the Flies, so to speak. They're going to Baal Zavuv out there, however they would want to define that, whether it's America or it's Europe or it's the United Nations or wherever. What does it matter? They go somewhere else other than Yehovah, and they are looking for those gods to save them and deliver them from their problems. And yes, I will also say quite clearly that some, not all, but some of the religious leaders among the Orthodox who are deeply ingrained in the political structure of Israel, they're doing the same exact thing. Why do you think Jehovah gets so upset with this situation? Because they don't count him worthy enough to be believed in anything. They just don't understand him, and they just don't know him. Again, Jehovah cannot, nor will he ever be content with any of our own actions, our own plans to establish self-justness my way. Many of us today are essentially rebuffing Jehovah with his free generated gift of a giving love that is all believing in 1 Corinthians 13.7. I'd actually like to borrow an expression from one of our own modern-day idioms. It's either my way or the highway. Sorry, Hashem, but we are set in our ways, 
And we're just not interested in what you want to give us. Thanks, but no thanks. Again, it's either our way or the highway. And people are saying this to the all-eternal one all the time. Now, another example of this systemic issue that we're dealing with, that of responding to Jehovah's generated love from above from Luke 9.41 regarding a man who was spiritually oppressed by a bunch of demonic forces. When Yeshua's disciples could not relieve the man from his convulsions, Yeshua answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? So he's calling that generation a generation of faithless people who have proven themselves to be perverse. Why? Because they have gone against everything that they have understood and learned from the generation of the Hebrew nation when they first gathered at Mount Sinai on the festival of Shavuot to receive the words from the word, the Ten Commandments. So when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13.7 that the love of Jehovah is all-believing, what do you think he was driving at? Well, I think he was teaching his readers the biblical principle that love does not begin with us. No, no, no. Biblical love always begins with Jehovah by first generating it within himself and then sending it out unto us and giving us the opportunity to respond to his biblical love. Therefore, we are always left with the decision to respond to what he freely gives us. But when we fail and walk away from choosing to freely receive what he desires to give to us, what then? Well, I think our decision to reject that generated love that he wants to give us, I think that is the very thing that destroys us. It's not him. So Paul writes of Jehovah's worthiness to be believed and to be trusted. He writes in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, let's take a look at this from Isaiah 43, 10 through 11, as Paul would have likely understood it. You are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. And the idea here of believing me means to respond to the divine generated love that is freely offered to each of us because it comes from him. So Jehovah goes on to say through the prophet, understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God or Elohim formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, Jehovah, and besides me, there is no Savior. The idea of besides me means in Hebrew, there is nothing next to me or comparable to me that can be called Elohim and a Savior. 
And we can see a confirmation of this from the book of Shemot, or Exodus, chapter 15, 11, as it reads in Hebrew, and we even have a synagogue song for it. It's called, Who is Like You? Mi chamocha ba'elim Yehovah, mi chamocha nedar bar kodesh, nora tehilot ose fele. Who is like you, O Yehovah, among the Elohim, or the gods? Who is like you, glorious or awesome in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? which is the word Pe-Lamed Aleph in Hebrew. That is the same word that shows up in Isaiah 9-6 in English or 9-5 in Hebrew. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Pelamadalev, Counselor, Mighty El, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace or Sar Shalom. So we can clearly see that this is pointing to a messianic prophecy or a messianic fulfillment in the Hebrew letters Aleph Tav, which gives us the Hebrew word Ot, a sign, meaning the word made flesh. From John 1.14. So this then leads us to the words of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And this prophet, Habakkuk, had some really important words to speak to the nation, which is quoted as part of a teaching lesson repeated for all of us in the New Covenant book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. And that is to not abandon Jehovah's free gift of love. Don't do it. Don't walk away from it because it's not going to happen again. It happened once when Yeshua came. Don't expect him to do it again. Don't abandon that free gift of love and decide, well, I think I'll just replace this with my own program of self-justness or self-righteousness. I like my ideas better. Whoever you are, God or Yehovah or Yahweh, eh, we don't care. I'm going with my own program. Simply, that is not what you want to do. That is to opt in for an I'll-do-it-myself deliverance or salvation. Because in doing that, we end up saying to the Almighty Eternal One, I don't think you are trustworthy. I'm not going to put all my spiritual eggs in one spiritual basket, so to speak. I'm not going to do it because I don't know if you will or will not be able to accomplish what I need for me. So see you later. I'll take care of it myself. Thank you very much. Well, listen, folks. Embracing this kind of thinking might be easier, but we're not going to find a home in his rest. Rather, with this kind of thinking, we'll end up finding a home in a destructive place that we don't want. It's not going to end well for us if we do that. 
Rather, we should focus on making the choice for life and not for death and responding to what Yehovah wants to give us from His good while refusing to respond to the principle that Paul wrote about. And that principle is that Yehovah's love is all-believing, meaning His love is worthy enough to be believable. Why? Because it comes from the truth, and the truth is one of the names of the Word of Yehovah, the Messiah, because He is the one that is the good of Yehovah. Which once again brings us back to Habakkuk the prophet and his words in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, a moed in Hebrew. And if you want to know what the context is, go back and read it for yourself. Yehovah goes on to say through the prophet, but at the end, he will speak and he will not lie. Though he tarries, wait for him, because he will surely come. So we'll come back on this podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio, and we'll continue where we have left off here and talk further about these ideas. Thanks for being with me in this podcast series on defining biblical love as it is written about in 1 Corinthians 13, which is essentially Paul's new covenant love chapter, our website is www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Take care, friends. Have a great week. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio.